one to another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart unto the Lord, giving thanks always uh, to Him. But the book of Ephesians also deals with living for Christ. That's what we're going to focus on uh, this morning. Living for Christ. Verses 7, 8, and 9 of Ephesians 3 helps us with this. Living for Christ. Three words I want us to keep in mind as we move along for the next few minutes. The first word, identity. Identity. The second word, humility. Humility. And third word, responsibility. Responsibility. I think you can see right away these are important words as we live for Christ. Verse 7 of Ephesians uh, 3. Identity. Notice how Paul identifies himself. How does he do that? He says, of this gospel I was made a minister. A minister. That's our identity. Minister. This is a favorite word of Paul and the other New Testament writers. The idea of ministering, being a servant, being a slave of Christ. And it would do us good, not harm, to look at several of these verses, but we won't look at all of them. But just, just as a matter of reference, you might recall that James, when he, when he begins his book in James 1 verse 1, refers to himself as a servant of Christ. Peter also in 2 Peter 1 verse 1. Philippians 1 verse 1. Paul said, me and Timothy are here together and we are your servants. We are your servants. A favorite passage of mine is 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 where Paul says, we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and we as his servants his servants. And so notice identity. Identity. And with this identity, I want us to think about this. Notice that Paul says that we are made ministers or servants by the gospel. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. You see, the gospel automatically, it automatically makes us a minister if we receive it properly. If we come to know the gospel properly, as we're seeking for forgiveness from God, as we are seeking a relationship with God, if we're learning properly the steps of salvation, if we're learning properly about God and all that He's about, this will automatically make us ministers, servants. Romans 6, for example, Romans 6 Verses 16 to 18, Paul says, God be thanked that whereas you were the servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to you, and being then made free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. See how automatically that happens? See how automatic that is? Okay. In our obedience to the truth, okay. if you want to back up in Romans 6, 3 and 4, notice, that obedience involves being baptized into the death of Jesus. When we're raised from, the, raised from the waters and newness of life, when we obey that doctrine, when we submit to Christ, we become servants of righteousness. You see that? 
Romans 6, 17 and 18. It's automatic. It's automatic. Notice if you're still in Romans uh, 6, let your eyes look over to verse number 19 as well. Looking down to verse number 19, Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural uh, limitations. For just as you were once, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, so now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You see, in this change that we make, in this coming to Christ, in this submission to His will, we are now, we are now submitting our members. We're, we're taking our bodies, we're taking all that is about us, and we are, we are letting them be used for righteousness and cleanlessness instead of impurity and unrighteousness. It's just automatic. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. Paul recounts the conversion of those folks in Thessalonica. He says, you turn from idols to serve the true and living God. You see that? You turn from idols in your conversion. What did you do? You turn from your idols that you were worshiping and now you're serving the true and living God. We find the same thing in Hebrews 9, uh, 14, where it says that Christ offered himself up to God without blemish, so that with his blood, he can cleanse our conscience from dead works, so that we can serve the living God. And so it's just automatic. The gospel makes us ministers. And if the gospel that you have learned in your experience, whatever that might be in coming to Christ, if you did not automatically learn that in coming to Jesus you were to go to work for Him, then you must step back and look at your initial conversion and just kind of question whether or not that was accurate or not. Now, a couple of components in this I want to mention. First is the ideal of sanctification. Sanctify. You know what that means. Sanctify. Sanctify means to be set apart for a certain purpose. Okay. We must remind ourselves that when we come to Christ and receive forgiveness, okay, that is called sanctification. That's called being set apart for God. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11 concerning the conversion of uh, many of the Corinthians. He says, you were washed, okay, from your sin, being baptized. You were washed from your sins. You were justified. You were sanctified in the name of our Lord. And if you will let your Bibles go over to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and 21, you'll, you'll find out more about this ideal being sanctified. There Paul says that we are actually vessels for God and that we are sanctified, set apart and for this purpose, to be holy, to be useful for the Master and to be ready for every good work. You see that? 2 Timothy 2.21 okay. 
When we become Christian, Christians, we are now vessels for God. We are sanctified or set apart. And we are set apart for these three great purposes. To be holy, to be useful for the Master, and to be ready unto every good work. You see, that comes automatically. You were not a vessel, now you're a vessel. You were not a servant. Well, you were a servant of sin, but now you're a servant of righteousness. Okay. And then this component, before we move on, this component, and that is just the component of Jesus. When we learn about the gospel, it's just, it's just natural we learn about Jesus and who he, who he is and who he was. And Jesus made no mistake about it. Matthew 20 and verse 28, he instructs his disciples, you will not be as the world. Okay. You will not exercise authority over men as the world has done. Okay. But the greatest among you will be your servants, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministering to, but to minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom uh, for many. You see that right there. Jesus was a servant. And I have latched on to this saying I saw on a t-shirt years ago, but I've always latched on to it. It's so true. It's so true. And here's what that saying says. It says, we cannot know who we are until we first know who He is. That's so true. It's so true. He's the head and we are the body. He's the master and we are the servant. We can't know who we're supposed to be until we know who He is. Jesus, above all things, is the servant of God. We read in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, these very things, how Jesus left the glories of heaven. He didn't think that was a thing to be latched onto. It wasn't a thing to be grasped onto, but he left heaven and was made in the likeness of men, being found as a, in the fashion of a man. He took upon him the form of a servant and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross because he came to be a servant. Okay. So those two components, the idea of being sanctified, when we are forgiven by God, we are sanctified. We're set apart. And then the very fact of who the Savior is, the Savior is. So to live the Christian life, identity is so important. And Paul identifies himself here as a minister, servant, and so should we. So a couple questions to consider as we try to uh, drill this into our hearts. Asking myself, and you ask yourself, am I engaged? in the good works of Jesus? Am I engaged? Was it automatic in my life? Was it automatic in my life? Am I engaged in good works? Another question to ask is, do I have to be coerced to do things for the Lord? If that's the case, then again, you'll probably need to step back and look at your initial conversion. You know, there are true conversions and there are false conversions. And sometimes the devil leads a person down the path of a false conversion. If I, have to be, if I have to be coerced into doing things for Christ, then 
I need to step back and look at who I actually am. Okay. Another question might be, do I think that there are some exceptions for some people? Do I think this servant ideal applies to some but not to others? That happens a lot in the world and even in the religious world and yes, even in the church that there's, there's a group that are, that are to kind of be the talkers and then there's a group that's to actually be uh, the doers. Do I think that there are some exceptions to this idea of serving the Lord with all our hearts? There cannot be exceptions because, again, look who the Lord is. Jesus said an interesting thing in John 5, 17. He said, my Father works up until now and I work. Okay. How can we even entertain the idea of following God without being a servant? At the very end of the Bible, very last page of your Bible, Revelation 22, John fell down to worship at the feet of the angel that had been helping him with these visions. The angel, of course, told him, get up. But notice what the angel said, Revelation 22, 8 and 9. Notice what the angel said to John. He said, I am also a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and all those who keep the words of this book, we are to worship and serve God, he said to John. See? There are no exceptions. No exceptions. Another question to ask before we move on from identity, another question to ask is, do I sometimes look for somebody else to do what I ought to be doing? Do I think that the Lord wants me to find a substitute in my place to be doing what I know what I ought to be doing? Interesting, Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, he said, you shall be my witnesses beginning here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. He didn't say go out and find somebody. Now, he didn't tell his disciples, go out and find somebody to be my witnesses. You are to be my witnesses. And every single disciple took that to heart and they went to work for the Lord. And this important question too, when I think about my identity as a servant, what about sacrifice? Am I currently sacrificing huge chunks of my time, money, and life in order to serve the Lord. What is the other way that Paul identifies himself in Ephesians? Look at Ephesians 3 and verse 1. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 1. How does Paul identify himself? Besides minister, he identifies himself as what? What's the word there? I, Paul, what? Prisoner. That's right. Prisoner. We're not truly serving the Lord unless we're willing to sacrifice, actually sacrifice, not just talk about it, not just being willing to do it, but sacrifice huge chunks of our resources and time and energy for the Lord. So these questions ought to help us to see whether or not we are serving Christ with the proper identity. Second word this morning, going back to Ephesians 3, 7 through 9. 
The second word is humility. You can see that in verse 8. Ephesians 3 verse 8. Paul said that this grace has been given unto me though I am least, less than the least of all the saints. Though I am the very least of all the saints, he's saying, yet this grace has been given unto me. Paul served with humility. With humility. What caused Paul to be humble? Okay. First of all, it was, it was his knowledge of his own sin. Without doubt. Paul is, not in, Paul is not shy about saying this in many places. It was his knowledge about his own sin. Okay. If we glance, glance over to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10, he says, It's not right really to call me an apostle of Christ because I persecuted the church of, church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And then if you notice in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 16, that's an important little paragraph there concerning this idea. But Paul says in verse 12, 13, he says, Before I come to Christ, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I injured other people. I was cruel about it. In fact, verse 15, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, of whom I am the foremost. What caused Paul to be humble? It was the knowledge of his sin. Knowledge of his sin. If we cannot acknowledge our personal sin, there is no hope whatsoever for anyone or for that person. Okay. A second thing that caused Paul to be humble was the love of his Lord. The love of his Lord. Notice the, the continuous use of the word grace here in Ephesians 3. Paul said, by the grace that was given unto me, I am, I am willing to be able to do this. I'm able to preach the gospel and so forth. He continues to emphasize grace all throughout uh, his writings. Going back to 1 Timothy 1, verses 12, 13, and 14. He said, though I was a blasphemer and persecutor, yet I obtained mercy... I obtained mercy. Paul didn't become a servant because he made himself a servant. It was out of the mercy of God. And in fact, keep reading there in 1 Timothy 1, uh, 14. He says, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant to me with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Paul was overwhelmed by the idea that the Lord Jesus could still love him. He marveled at the fact that God was so gracious to him. And he never got tired of expressing that, and neither should we ever get tired of expressing that because it's so just fundamentally true that we have been sinners, but God is so ultimately deep down good to us. And so that made him humble made him humble. And then a third thing that made Paul humble was his conversion to Christ. Conversion to Christ. Before, before Paul came to Christ, he was all about the resume. He was a resume guy. You can look with me in Philippians 3 and beginning in verse 4. He was all about, he was all about the attributes. He was all about the, the personal assessment. He was, he was all about uh, accumulating uh, credits to himself. But notice what, it, notice what he says there in Philippians 
3, uh, beginning in verse 4, he says, Before I come to Christ, if anybody had confidence to brag about in the flesh, it would have been me. He said, I was, I was uh, circumcised the eighth day. I was, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness concerning the law, I was blameless. Okay. But now, Paul says, I count all those things for loss, for the excellent, excellent knowledge that I can gain in Jesus Christ. Okay. Before, Paul looked at himself as having some credentials. He looked at himself as having quite a resume for God. Okay. We were at a graduation yesterday. You know, such a waste of time. Just, I could have that ceremony over in 20 minutes. Two hours later, we're walking out. Summa cum and then magna cum. Paul was all that before he come to Christ. He was magna cum. He was summa cum. Okay. He could say, look at me. But after he come to Christ, nothing about a resume, he felt like he was at the bottom of the pile. You see, his conversion to Christ did something to him. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the biggest I'm the one. I am the sinner of all sinners. That's what he was saying. He says in Galatians 6 and 14, God forbid that I should glory or boast save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what made Paul humble. His own personal sin, the love of the Lord, and his conversion to Christ. Can you think of anything more ugly and if you read a commentary, they will say that they'll, they'll use words like incongruent. Okay. There's nothing powerful there. It's incongruent. It, it means it doesn't match. Okay. It would be incongruent for a person who has pride to try to be associated with the lowly Nazarene called Jesus. Incongruent. But the, the word incongruent, it, it's, it's correct technically. It doesn't match for a person with any sort of pride to be associated with the lowly Nazarene. But that word doesn't do it. The word should be detestable. The, the word should be ugly. The word is foolish. How foolish it is for someone with any sort of pride to try to be associated with the works of Jesus Christ. May it not be so. Paul says in Acts 20, as he's talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said, guys, when I was among you, you know I served with all humility, Acts 20, 18 and 19. You okay. might say, well, I'm humble. I, I have my humble times. I have been humble. I'm humble about some things. Some of what Paul is saying. He said, guys, you know that I served among you with all humility. 
pride of any sort has no business being associated with the Lord's church whatsoever. There is what you might call spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. You found you can find this with the older brother in the prodigal story, you know, the prodigal son. The older brother he looked to the father and says, I have never transgressed your will. I've never transgressed you, Father. All these years, you never gave me a party. Okay, that's spiritual pride. There's also intellectual pride. Intellectual pride. We get a hint of this in Romans 1, 22, where Paul says, of some professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. But we don't know anything, guys. We don't know anything. Except for what the Lord has revealed, that's what we come to know, and we're humble about that. And then there's material pride. People become prideful about what they possess. May we never have any sort of pride, whether it's spiritual pride, intellectual pride, or even material pride. Someone has expressed it like this, there's the pride of face, the pride of race, and the pride of place. Some folks get really caught up in how they look or how they want to look. Pride of face, pride of face. Others are really proud of their heritage. They're proud of their race. They're proud of their, their family. Others are pride when it comes to place. They want to be first. They want to be in control. They want to be in, in charge. The Lord's servant seeks to separate himself from any sort of pride. So identity, humility, and then our final word this morning, responsibility. Responsibility. Notice what Paul says here in verse 9. The Lord has been good to me and He has charged me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery. We are responsible from what it is the Lord asks us to do, to preach, to share, to proclaim. Spread the tidings round. Let the message be wrung out. We are responsible for what the Lord would have us to do. To have us do. We are responsible because of, of where we're to go in our doing. Who we're to seek out. He's, he's sending Paul to the Gentiles because the Gentiles have not received the gospel. For us today, we go to those who need the gospel. And that is not here among ourselves. Okay. That's out from us. That's away from us. Sometimes that's a whole day away from us. Sometimes that's eight hours from us. Sometimes that's a, that's a, that's a plane flight away from us. Or several days away from us. Or sometimes it is someone across the street. But to those who need the gospel, we go. We are to be responsible. So we're responsible because of what it is the Lord wants us to do and because of who He wants us 
to go to, but we're responsible especially because of what he wants us to say. We are to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. These are the true riches, the true riches. Wish we had time to, to just travel down that road, the true riches of God. What the Lord has in store for us through his gospel, these are the true riches of life. Let's refer to this verse, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Paul says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, how that though he was rich, yet he became poor for our sake, so that we may be truly rich. The true riches, you see, are found in the gospel. They're unsearchable because only the Lord can provide what we need. Let me name the three big things the Lord provides for us. First, remember John 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The three big, big blessings the Lord brings to us is first, forgiveness. That is life. Spiritual life. We are dead in our sins, but by obeying the gospel, we can have life. We can have forgiveness. Second big blessing the Lord gives to us is purpose. We can have life more abundantly. Only those who realize being a servant of God, and that's our identity, only those who realize that live the abundant life. Those willing to give up, give up, actually give up and sacrifice for, for the gospel, understand what the abundant life is. And then the third big blessing is the hope beyond this life. Unsearchable riches of Christ. We give them Christ because that's what they need. That's what they need. That's what young parents learn as they're moving along. There's a lot of things you can feed your child and make them happy. Make them happy. One of our most enjoyable things we've been able to do at night with Sophia on, on the video through the phone is every once in a while, every once in a while, it's ice cream night for Sophia. And you're talking about something that will change a child's nature. If the disposition has somehow been sour that night, you just bring out the ice cream and it's a whole new world. But you can't have ice cream all the time. Or can you? Young parents understand they have to sometimes, many times, give their children what they need, not what they want. The unsearchable riches of Christ, it's our responsibility to get that out there somehow or another through many means because that's what the world needs, not what the world's going to want. The world wants the ice cream, but they need the Lord Jesus. We live for Christ, and by living for Christ, we stop and, and say, well, what's my identity? And then what about my humility? Am, am I being responsible for my Lord? 
the book of Ephesians is powerful. It can help us to come home to Jesus. What about us today? What about you today? What about our Lord? What about His goodness? What about His death on the cross? Am I living responsibly with Him and for Him? The invitation song has been selected and it is designed to encourage us. May these scriptures and the words of these of this song encourage us to do right and be right before God. Will you come this morning, right now, as we stand, as we sing?